live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. During the break, while Mike Spaulding was doing the news, I made an off, off-air comment to my producer. And I know my, my producer quickly responded. I know what he was thinking. He says, Jeff, you always tell me. My job, you don't like to get called into meetings, and one of my jobs is to make sure I stop you from doing things that might get you called into meetings. I know he was thinking that, but I just can't help myself. Packers game on Sunday. All right, big big game. Kickoff is 520. Our coverage starts at 11 o'clock in the morning. Eleven. What can we do for six hours and 30 minutes? But let's be honest, there's going to be plenty of Wisconsinites out there that are pre-gaming at 11 o'clock getting ready oh, for the game. Oh, well, don't, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to the game. I mean, I, but, but we're taking a bus up there. The bus leaves at 1245, and that's going to get there at 3 o'clock. So, I mean, we will be able to listen to our coverage as I'm driving down to the place to pick up the bus, all the way on the bus in the next three hours. I, look, I, I love the, believe me, I'm, I'm going to the game. I've got the cold weather gear and all that type of stuff, and, and I know there's a lot of interest. I'm just, I am now legitimately curious to tune in because six and a half hours and and i have to be consistent because one of the things about super bowl coverage that i I have consistently made fun of over the years is that you have like the pregame coverage for the super bowl the super bowl kickoff is like at six o'clock at night our time and and the coverage starts like at 10 in the morning Okay, well, we're 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 treating this as our super bowl so i i'm legitimately curious i want to tune in and see what we plan to do for six and a half hours before the divisional playoff game. So tune in. Listen along with me as well. All right. Lots of interesting developments since we last spoke yesterday. Let's talk about the big one, the international situation. For those of you who have not been following along, we, we all know late last week, President Trump ordered uh, a, a strike. Missiles that were launched um, from a, a drone helicopter that were used to take out um, an Iranian general who was in Iraq. The the general was, I think, one of the leading terrorists in the world. Everybody understands that this guy had blood on his hands. For the better part of a couple decades, he had been responsible for planning various terrorist actions which took the lives of lots of Americans, lots of Israelis. U.S. says he was planning to continue doing this. I, I have no doubt that that was in fact the case so there's the missile strike the world clearly safer in certain respects because the u.s took out this terrorist all right after that happened you had you know iran that was doing all its saber rattling we're going to launch we're going to fight back etc etc and a lot of people concerned oh we don't want to launch into world war three here yesterday what happened is iran launched a series of of missile strikes. They sent um, more than a dozen missiles at two bases in Iraq that housed U.S. troops. There have been no casualties 
and uh, and by casualties, I mean no injuries and no loss of life. So the, the U.S. says that they, they knew that this was coming. The response that Iran has, that Iran claims, oh, we've created this huge destruction and we've killed all these Americans, that, that appears to be, that is completely and totally untrue. It appears to me that this was a face-saving effort more than anything else, something done by the regime so they could point to the, the crowds and they could say, okay, look, we we have retaliated against the great Satan, but it, it's not something that injured the U.S. in any sort of way at, at all. U.S. knew that the missiles were apparently coming. Um, they were able to scramble, evacuate these areas. I don't get the idea that there was a huge amount of damage that was done. Now, Iran says, well, okay, we're going to, you know, we'll, we're going to continue to do things. But I think some people think that this might have been, like I say, as much of a face-saving effort as anything. President Trump addresses the nation this morning. And President Trump also appears to kind of walk back from the edge. He, he says, look, we're never going to allow Iran to have nuclear capabilities, period. But it does not appear from his remarks today that the president has any intention of escalating. By that, I mean retaliating in response to the, these missiles that, that were sent and, again, didn't do much damage. So at least as of right now, it appears that everybody is kind of like stepping back Face-saving attack yesterday launched by Iran didn't cause much, if any, serious damage. The president does not appear to be in any sort of hurry to, quote-unquote, retaliate. little bit of saber-rattling, but beyond that, things seem relatively calm. The stock market, to the extent that that's an indicator, the Dow Jones futures were down about 350 points, and um, now... Given where we are, uh, they're up almost 200. So, I mean, the stock market investors seem to think that things have calmed down. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think President Trump, and I understand some of you are going to hate to hear this, I think President Trump has handled the last 48, 72 hours, I think he's handled them masterfully. I think not overreacting to what Iran did in response to the drone attack was appropriate. I think that ordering the drone attack was appropriate. Like I say, I think the world is a safer place. Iran and Iranian leaders, they don't want to get into a shooting war with the United States because they understand that they're going to lose that. I was glad to hear the president talk about ratcheting up economic sanctions. The economic sanctions are are putting a huge, huge burden on Iran. And given the fact that particularly in the United States, we've increased our ability to produce oil domestically thanks to fracking, Iran has lost a lot of the leverage that it had maybe 10, 15 years ago over the control of oil. Anyhow, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think President Trump, at least at the moment, is handling this crisis absolutely correctly. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think ordering the strike was appropriate. I think not retaliating in response to what happened last night is appropriate as well. Maybe Iran will do something else that provokes a bigger response. But right now, 
I think keeping your powder dry, using economic sanctions is the way to go, and I think the president deserves credit for that. Yes, the president deserves credit for that. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, for all of you out there who just don't think President Trump can do anything, he's a warmonger, he's going to get us into World War III, I, I actually think the events of the last five days or so really shows that maybe he deserves more credit than, than people think. You had a, a targeted strike that took out a terrorist leader. And then you had, I, I think the saber rattling that typically happens. And then I think you're seeing some restraint after Iran retaliated, quote unquote, but retaliated in a fashion that that really didn't put U.S. lives in in jeopardy. U.S. knew that there were these missile strikes going. They now have saved some face. The regime in Iran has saved some face and the president has resisted escalating again by lobbing missiles into population centers or something like that. And it appears everybody's kind of standing down, at least for the moment. Now, I don't know what's going to happen 48 hours from now or two weeks from now or four weeks from now, but at least at the moment, the Iranian terrorist is gone and we're we're back to pretty much where we stood. Does Trump deserve credit for that? Let's start with Lewis on the South Side. You're on WTMJ. I I agree with you wholeheartedly, Jeff. Um, This is a a great thing. Um, Instead of like past administrations where our presidents were giving money away to appease these regimes, you know, like North Korea and such, um, Trump handled things in a measured response. They killed an American uh, businessman, and we took out, you know, a major uh, player in their administration. Yeah, Um, and, and it's enough of that. And, and then after he's done all that, and he's not throwing our money, and again, people should be calling their representatives at least once a month, reminding them, this is our money, stop giving it away. we got to end this cycle of giving money away. World War II is a long time ago. We don't need to carry anybody. It's about time we, we have world respect where peop, uh, other countries respect themselves enough to carry their own weight. And the thing is, now Trump, just like he did with North Korea, he says, look, we're offering you a chance to be part of this world be peaceful uh, and prosperous. Uh, what more do you want out of out of the guy? Well, exactly. I mean, I think so. now, you, you could have again. You could have undertaken and continued this policy of appeasement that we've used through multiple administrations. And I, I go back to the George Bush administration and certainly through the Barack Obama years. You could have gone through this continued thing of of, of appeasement. But what you've seen over the course of, of, well, actually the last several years, is you've been seeing an increasingly more aggressive Iran, whether it was the takeover of the oil tankers through the Straits of Hormuz last year, you know, whether it's a number of the other activities that they've been engaging in. And finally, you have a president who says, look, I'm going to draw this line in, in the sand. And, you know, we've had opportunities before. We, we've always passed on them to take off out one of these terrorist leaders. Well, we've decided we're not going to do this now. At the same time, I think the president deserves a lot of credit for looking at, for example, last night's missile strike for what it was. You know, the U.S. knew the missiles were coming. 
Um, they were launched, you know, yes, they were military, American military bases, but Americans were really not in danger or they, you know, no lives were lost at all, no injuries in connection with that. Yes, now Iran gets the face-saving thing of saying, look, we we killed 80 Americans, which is completely and totally false. But all right, if if that's the lie that the regime needs to tell, that's the lie that the regime needs to tell. The president ratcheting ratcheting up economic sanctions, but at the same time, he has sent a message indicating that you know enough is enough and unlike president obama who would draw oh we've drawn a red line in the sand don't cross over it and then of course you have some of these rogue nations that cross over it and the president looks the other way nothing ends up happening so here's the bottom line of this i I don't know what's going to happen like i say a couple weeks from now i'm not saying that you know the president's going to continue to handle this in a perfect fashion but given given What's happened over the course of the last five days? I think that you've seen a president here who's demonstrated that he's willing to use American military power, but at the same time, at the same time, not overreact to that. Now, I understand some of the stuff he talks about. Yeah, we're going to send missiles at these cultural you know, uh, places in Iran. I, I think that. I hope that that's just talk, because I, I would hope that we're, we're not going to be doing things like that. But at the same time, if the president's doing some saber rattling, if it gets the attention of the Iranian regime and makes them more likely to stand down, I, 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 I think it's great. Here's a text. Jeff, this administration has walked back the imminent and immediate threat reason they gave. However, I shed no tears over the man's death. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things that you, you see. A lot of, of the Democrats, including some of the people who want to be president, you know, and they're all talking about, oh, this is this, pre- this president, our president has, you know, put our military men and women who are serving this country in danger and things like that. W- without talking about the other aspect of it is, is it possible maybe by taking a step like this, you've actually made men and women in the long term safer by taking out people who have demonstrated a track record and a desire to kill Americans? at every chance they get, to kill Israelis at every chance they get. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. You know, I know there's been a lot of uncertainty over the course of the last several days, but I tell you, I think you can make a very, very strong argument that right now the world is a safer place than it was before you had the American military strike that was launched last Friday. Some people don't want to hear it, but I think that's the reality of where we stand now. Analysis could change based on events. Maybe Iran is planning other attacks, and maybe there will need to be a different response given those attacks. But right now, I think cooler heads are prevailing, and I think that's to the benefit of the world, and it's to the benefit of the United States. And you know what? It's to the benefit of the Iranian people. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, here is the one major unanswered question of of what happened yesterday, and and that is, what caused this Boeing 737 to go down? This, and and look, maybe maybe we're going to get to the bottom of this, but if you haven't been following this, so you have Iran that launches, they they send about 12 missiles at these American bases. The Americans knew they were coming. They scramble. So there's damage to like a hangar or something like that. I believe that that was was an attempt by Iran to save face to, to their people. All right, so 
everybody, cooler heads end up prevailing. Now, weirdly, a couple hours after that, you have a Ukrainian airliner. It's a Boeing 737. This is not this is not the Boeing 737 Maxes that have been responsible for the two crashes that they're now it's out of service. So this is this is a plane that has a great track record for safety. And as a matter of fact, the plane had just been inspected two days, two days before the plane crash. So in the immediate aftermath of these missiles being sent, what happens is this Ukrainian airliner takes off from Tehran on Wednesday, and it's only in the air for really a few minutes, and then it ends up crashing. Um, interestingly, Iranian authorities have recovered the black box, and they won't turn it over, at least at this point, to anybody, because the black box, you that, that would tell you what happened, or at least it would give you an indication of what happened. There were apparently no distress calls from the pilot to the to the to the tower. It, it just sort of crashed. And if you look, and I, look, I don't want to go into this conspiracy sort of thing, but if you look at like some of the photos that were released, it, it appears that there's like shrapnel and stuff in, in the hull of the plane. Now, there's things that could have caused that, but a lot of the aviation experts that are looking at this say, well, you know, one of the things that certainly could have caused this. Um, if this had just been an engine that caught on fire, you should have been able to deal with it, or at least you would have had more notice and things like that. Some of the characteristics of this this crash are consistent with the plane being shot down. Now, I, I, do I think Iran tried to shoot down this commercial airliner? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Do I think it is possible that given everything that was going on yesterday, do I think it is possible that somebody could have mistaken a civilian airliner for, I don't know, a, a U.S. warplane or something like that? Do I think that's within the range of possibility? Yeah. Am I saying that's happened? I, no, I, I don't know. But but these are some of the questions. It's really a suspicious plane crash, and the timing is, is very, very suspicious as well. I don't know that we're ever – and the fact, like I say, that Iran is not, at least at this point in time, allowing people from outside the country to come in and inspect the, this stuff. That all raises questions in my mind about was this – an aviation disaster was this something a problem with the plane but the plane like i say had been inspected two days before this isn't the boeing that's been having all those problems and all of a sudden this plane at the same time or at least shortly after you've got iran shooting these missiles at u.s bases all of a sudden the plane crashes under mysterious circumstances look i'm not one of these big conspiracy guys but i, I think these are, are reasonable questions the timing of it the circumstances behind it does make me wonder about whether this was something that it could have been a, a again fog of war type of thing where you, you mistake this civilian plane for like i say maybe a u.s bomber I, I don't know what exactly happened but that's one of the questions that i have as to whether or not that this plane just ended up being quote-unquote collateral damage and it's a tragedy what 176 people lost their life in this and it again it's one of the reasons why a lot of airplanes, a lot of commercial aircraft, are, are staying away from this entire hot zone area. Hopefully, we will get to the bottom of this. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me start off this segment by saying, build it, baby. 
I am 125% in favor of what the Department of Transportation is considering doing. If you have ever driven north on the freeway, I-43, outside of Milwaukee, trying to head north to Glendale, and then you know later on into Fox Point, and then Mequon, and going further north, you know what happens is just north of Silver Spring, right past the, the Bayshore Town Center, what happens is you start to lose multiple lanes of traffic. It goes down to two lanes. Anybody ever driven that? And it doesn't really matter whether you're driving at 2 in the morning or 2 in the afternoon. Don't even try to drive it at 4.30 in the afternoon. What happens is you have a huge bottleneck because you have all the traffic that's coming out on three lanes. It goes down to two. Plus, you have the people that are getting on going northbound at Silver Spring. And, and it's a mess. It's just a mess. It is a huge bottleneck. Well, what the Department of Transportation wants to do, and the federal government approved this actually back in 2014. They approved taking I-43 and expanding it from two lanes in Glendale out to three lanes each way from Silver Spring all the way out to Highway 60 in Grafton. Now, that was the plan. Again, it goes back a number of years. State government, um, the, the federal government approved this in November of 2014, but the state legislature, they didn't sign off on this until July of 2019. So the project has kind of sat in limbo for the last five years. They're also talking about adding an extra on-ramp in uh, Ozaki County to make it easier to, to get on to deal with the increasing population growth. All right, these plans are now back on full speed ahead. The Department of Transportation is going to be holding two meetings over the course of the next couple weeks to get citizen input and to describe exactly what they're doing. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A lot of times when we talk about freeway expansion around here, what happens is we, we get a lot of the usual suspects, first of all, people who don't like freeways, secondly, um, people who have just in general environmental concerns, and then sometimes people who just don't want to see their lives disrupted. And I get, I understand all of that, but at the same time, lots of us like to drive cars. In any event, you know, we talked for the longest time about trying to widen I-94 between downtown and the zoo interchange. Those plans are on hold, maybe permanently killed. So you have the new Marquette interchange, you have the new zoo interchange, and then you've got this bottleneck between them. All right, if we look at the northbound expansion of I-43 between Glendale all the way out to Grafton, right, should we go ahead and do this? And if you drive that stretch regularly, is this something that is long overdue? My answer is yes. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, area drivers, is it time to say, yeah, we should have done this? My argument is we should have probably done this five or six years ago. I think it's been unfortunate that this whole thing has been stalled for five years. But, yeah, the plan right now is to go ahead to start doing this by 2021. That would be next year. And then hopefully have it finished by 2025. I don't think it can happen soon enough. If you drive this stretch of roadway, and again, we're talking about the area from just north of Bayshore Town Center all the way up to Grafton, three lanes each way. Good idea, bad idea. 
I think it is extremely needed, and I can't wait for them to start. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And I have to tell you, I don't think that this is going to get meet anywhere near the degree of resistance moving forward that we're seeing the project that would essentially widen I-94 westbound. I think most people are going to say, boy, bring this on. Gru is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I understand that there's some people who say, why are we expanding freeways? Well, the reason you expand freeways is because people drive, and in some cases, freeways that were built two lanes years and years and years ago, well, that's just not enough. And that's precisely what's going on I-43 North, just north of Bayshore Town Center, north of Silver Spring, all the way out to Grafton. Apparently, finally, after five or six years of kind of fooling around with this, uh, the Department of Transportation is going to go ahead and start widening that road. I say... Go for it. Ryan in Cudahy. Hi, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? Real well, thank you. Okay, do they need to do this? Absolutely. I'm a, a truck driver. I come down from Green Bay almost daily, and uh, it's terrible in the morning. I'd say between 6.30 and 9, and in the evenings, but by about 2 to 5.30, I dread going through that, that area. So, Because it, it's always backed up, because it, it goes from... Um, it, it goes from like two lanes to suddenly then to four lanes or, or, or back or three lanes down to two. It, it you just you just can't deal with it. There's just too much traffic for the space. Exactly. And then uh, earlier this summer when uh, they had uh, they had crews out there working, they they push it all the way down to, to to one lane even during the day, and it's absolutely terrible. And, you know, you got ten minutes late just off of that. Oh yeah, no. no, I no, you're exactly right, and and see, and it and it's, you know, unlike some areas, what you're seeing is you're you're seeing growth and expansion. One of the areas where the the whole metroplex is expanding as people are moving further and further north you know for years and years all the expansion or at least a good portion of the expansion was going west you know people would leave the city and they'd head out to brookfield or further west well there's still some of that going on now but what you're seeing is our northern suburbs are are developing i mean i just think back from when i was a kid and you know what ozaki county for example you know looked like you know 30 years ago versus what it looks like now. You're seeing that constant development, and people are moving further and further north as well, which means if you're working in the city of Milwaukee or whatever, you've got the commutes. Right now, they estimate that the current traffic volume reaches about 84,000 vehicles daily, 84,000. They expect it over the course of the next 20 years to go up to 100,000 vehicles. They have crash rates in some areas of that stretch of roadway that are way, way above what the um, statewide average is, and it's because there's too much volume for that particular area. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I live um, on Green Tree Road. I have been waiting for this for 25 years. You cannot get on or off at Good Hope Road safely because of the congestion. Um, The traffic either direction is absolutely horrible. 
another text, Jeff, this has been a mess for years. I'm happy they're addressing this area. Many of us who drive it regularly are amazed by those who stay in the right lane until the last second and then just jump in. It is a mess every day. And then you add weather to this. Um, you add speed. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, this is way overdue. I live in Port Washington. I drive to Cudahy for work. It always gets bottleneck exactly where you're talking about at Silver Spring. Yeah, uh, one after another after another. Now, here's one of the interesting things. A texter makes the point, Jeff, the state sat on this for five years. Expect five years of environmental challenges and another five years to build it after the challenges are thrown out i'm not sure unlike unlike the area where between again the marquette interchange and the zoo interchange which i I think most of us understand and believe that it, it it needs to be widened it desperately needs to be widened but here you've got, and, and I'm, I'm not throwing stones, but the mayor of the city of Milwaukee is not a pro-car guy. I mean, you know, the mayor of the city of Milwaukee is, all right, We what we want is, you know, we, we want to have all these mass transit options and we want to have the trolley and things like that. So you've got the mayor who is an anti-car guy. You've got the environmental activists in Milwaukee who are anti-car people. The expansion of that stretch, and I'm in favor of it. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm in favor of it. But the expansion of that is going to involve some private taking of land. You've got issues with the cemeteries and things like that. It, it's just in that particular case, and this is what happened with Governor Walker, he he said he ended up bailing on, on pushing for that extension because I think he was a realist. He said, exactly right. If we continue to pursue in this, you know, we're going to have another five, ten years of litigation because you've got these powerful forces who are anti-freeway, certainly anti-car and anti-freeway expansion. And, yeah, we're going to have to fight them in court, you know, tooth and nail, and we have to spend hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars or whatever it's going to be in legal fees before we even get to building. My sense is moving north. The area that we're talking about, the very northern portion of Milwaukee County and then into Ozaki County, my sense is you're not going to have the institutional resistance. Now, I understand that there might be some you know, group here or there that decides they're going to try to litigate this. But as far as the institutions of government lining up to oppose this, I, I don't think you're going to see it in any sort of big way. Might there be some litigation? Yes. But will it be as full-throated as the uh, litigation and the efforts to try to stop the expansion moving westbound on I-94? I just don't think it's going to happen. I think this is long overdue. And I guess I echo the thoughts of you know one of my texters here, you know, as somebody who drives that stretch on a regular basis and has for a number of years, where do I go to start digging? Once they break ground, I want to be there and helping them out. Hopefully, they'll be able to get this project off the ground. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Now, wait a second, Melissa. Don't go anywhere here. You, you buried the lead. I mean, in your entire newscast... You know, we, we, we talked about, you know, the, 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 the what was going on in Iran and all that type of stuff. We talked about some of these local stories. But you, you buried the lead. You did not tell people the, 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 the burning story today, hot off the press, 
Prince Harry and Meghan, the Duchess of Sussex. Big news with the royal family. Well, it's funny. In the break, I mentioned it to you. And uh, yeah, I didn't have it in my newscast, but it is just breaking right now. And this is something um, that we haven't seen before. After I have their statements. Mm-hmm. After many months of reflection and internal discussions, we have chosen to make a transition this year in starting to carve out a progressive new role within this institution. That would be the monarchy. We intend to step back as senior members of the royal family and work to become financially independent. Huh. So we're we're not going to be sucking on the, the monarchies, whatever. Um, while continuing to fully support Her Majesty the Queen, it is with your encouragement, particularly the last year's, we feel prepared to make this adjustment. And then their plan to spend their time between the United Kingdom and North America, I assume a lot of that would be in Canada. So I think if you followed this at all since they got I, married, this doesn't come to a huge surprise I, to and you. And of course, I've been I've been wrapped really? by all the, yeah. the things. I, I, just, I, I just can't look away from all the yeah, stuff going so, on with the royal family. You know, and it's very interesting because you would see photos and it just brought you back to Princess Diana, how miserable sometimes she really looked within the royal family and I think at that time in their culture maybe it wasn't the right time to do that but when you got a partner with you that can do this together um, as a couple I think you know I don't know you live once I think if you're miserable under whatever circumstances you can change it hopefully and be live happy well, also, they got little Archie too uh, right also I mean he realistically he's never going to be the king not going to be the king because right. you've got dad then you've got the older brother he's the what do they always say you need an heir and a spare yeah. He, yeah right so okay. <laughs> yeah <laughs> got it oh, but okay well Best of luck. That's the that's the big news. That big Maybe, royal news. It, it is okay. Hey, let me ask you this. Um, do you ever use the, these food delivery services? Do you ever use like Uber Eats or DoorDash or Grubhub or something like I'm that? I'm really curious about them, but I have not used them yet. Okay. Now the way, all right. Let's say you want to have food delivered. Now, the traditional way, you want a pizza delivered, so you call Gru's Pizzeria, and you say, hi, this is Jeff, can you give me a large pizza? And Gru's Pizzeria then has delivery drivers that they hire who then, you know, take out the pizza and bring it to me. That, mm-hmm. And it's kind of like like Jimmy John's. Jimmy John's, I mean, they hire those people, you call it, and then they, they bring it out. All right, th- there's this, for people who, who haven't used this, there's this... I don't want to say new because it's been around for a while, but it, it's starting to take off. And it's just like like the ride-sharing stuff has started to take off. There's a number of these different services. They're third, what they call third-party delivery services like Uber Eats or DoorDash or Grubhub, etc. They have an app that you download. And then you go on the app, and, and let's say you you want something. You, you want McDonald's. McDonald's participates in a lot of this. You go on the app, and you post your order for what you want from McDonald's, and you pay for it with your credit card, etc. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is there are drivers that work for not McDonald's, but they work for the third-party service. They work for Uber Eats or whatever. So they get your order, they go to McDonald's for you, they pick up your order, and then they bring it to you. So they're, they're not employees of McDonald's or, sure. or whatever. So it's, again, it's a convenience factor. And just like, I mean, I mean, just like, like, for example, Lyft and Uber provide this kind of service, it, the same thing is true here in all these restaurants. I mean, the, the restaurants pay a fee, I guess, to be included in this or, or whatever it is. So, You've never used that. 
I have not. I, no, when I, have you? I, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I have. I, I wouldn't. That's just. I mean, there's delivery service I've used, but sure. not like this third party but, one, which I could see would be helpful for places that you really want food from that don't deliver. Well, and particularly in urban areas, you know, where you have high density population. Sure. And I, I would guess you have a lot of younger people that are there and there's a lot of restaurants in a concentration, concentrated period of area and, and you, you don't want to go out. Yeah. So, hey, th- this is great. I, I want to eat that. It's I perfect. mean, I, I understand the business model and it's really, really taken off. All right. So Melissa has no firsthand experience. Gru, do you ever, do you ever use this stuff? Uh, I use Eat Street. Eat Street, yeah, okay. So say, did I describe accurately how this works? You you download the app and then you... Well, yeah, I never order from the McDonald's. It's it's a lot of like independent stuff that's local around here. So, yeah, like, but McDonald's signs up for it, too. Well, good for them. I, oh, I, okay, I, but, but, but the basic premise is there's a choice of restaurants, right. and so you, you can order and then somebody picks it up and brings it to you because... Yeah, so if I wanted to order from Pizza Man, Pizza Man doesn't have delivery, or I don't, I'm assuming that they don't, but if they don't, you can order from Eat Street. They go pick it up. They go, do, I, they, do they order it for you, too? No, I order it. So, like, I, I put it on my app. So, like, if I'm ordering sushi, I go through all the different things. I order different you rolls. You would be a sushi eater. I can, oh, yeah, yeah, man. Okay, all right. Okay. I got to tell you, I, the amount of time okay, that so, we order that. Okay, so 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 you and Mrs. Grew, you want to order sushi. Sh- sh- sushi. So, how do you do it? Uh, we open up the Eat Street app. Right. And then I pick either, like, kawa or rice and roll someplace. And then I, they have, like, the popular items. So, like, the right. people that use the app, the most popular So, you order it on the ordered. app. Yep, and then uh, I play. I can decide on the de- on the de- delivery fee. So there there is a delivery fee and sure. then the tip as well. So okay. I decide on tip, and then it usually gives you a ballpark like twenty five to forty minutes on when you right. can expect your food. And there you go. Good enough. Okay, I bring this up because there's a Milwaukee County Alder person who's got an interesting i Milwaukee City of Milwaukee Alder person who's got an interesting idea. And and if the city did this, it would be, I, I think, the first city in the country to do this. What she wants to do in an effort to try to generate money to fix potholes and things of the like, she wants to impose a fee of 60 cents per order on every order that somebody uses through one of these these food apps. So my producer orders the, the pizza, for example. They don't deliver. The city would add a surcharge of $0.60 cents to that order. And the idea would be that that money would be used to I- improve the roads. Right Now, that would not apply to places that do their own deliveries. So, you know, if it was Jeff's Pizza and I hired delivery drivers, that 60 cent surcharge to every order would not apply. This would only be to the third party orders. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I'm not a big fan of, of fees and adding different costs and surcharges and things like that. But, you know, we do talk a lot about the lousy condition of the roads, and we talk about how are we going to get enough money to to fix these. This particular idea has some degree of appeal to me. Again, it's not a percentage sort of thing. It's just a straight 60-cent surcharge that the city would impose on every one of these orders. This is one where I, I think the people that are using the service wouldn't be deterred by the extra 60 cents. And 
it would be relatively painless. It's a completely voluntary thing. I mean, nobody says that you have to, you know, use one of these delivery services to get your food. I think actually this might be a tax increase that I could get behind. It's a user fee on this service. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It would be the first in the country. I'm typically not a big fan of tax increases or government surcharges. This one, I, I think, would probably generate more money than people think. It would be a relatively painless tax. And if it helps improve the roads, why not? What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. I have a why question that I would like to discuss with you next. If you were to move from the state of Wisconsin, what would it be that caused you to move? And, and I guess I, when I'm, I'm saying this, it's not, I'm not asking so much, oh, gee, I lost my job and I, you know, I, ha- I had to relocate to California to get another job. It's from a quality of life perspective. What is it that is important to you? And, and the reason I bring this, our, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you were to relocate, Maybe it's in retirement. Maybe it's just a, a, a lifestyle thing, whatever. If you were to relocate, what would be the driving factor? Would it be family, whatever? The reason I ask this is because there's new numbers out. We're going to be doing the census this year. And ba- based on the, the census, they're going to determine, you know, what, you know, what, we look at the population, and that determines, you know, who, how many congressmen you get, things like that. It, it's a very, very important thing. There are preliminary numbers out there which show that there, there have been movements, and some of the movements are a little bit surprising. For example, last week, the Census Bureau and the IRS listed some of their preliminary numbers in advance of the census. What they found is over the last 10 years, four states have lost population. West Virginia, Vermont, Connecticut, and Illinois. Illinois lost 1.2% of its population over 10 years. But 10 states over the, just the last year, not 10 years, but over the last year, showed declines. New York State lost about 180,000 people. You know, over the last decade, New York has lost more of its population to other states than any other state save for Alaska, followed by Illinois, Connecticut, and New Jersey. So you have people who are leaving New York. They're leaving Illinois. They're leaving Connecticut. They're leaving New Jersey. Where are they going? Well, um, Florida, Arizona, Texas, North Carolina, Nevada, Colorado, Washington, Idaho, places like that. Not not all warm weather spots. I mean, clearly Florida, Arizona, Texas would be North Carolina to an extent, Nevada to an extent, certainly not Colorado or Washington State, certainly not Idaho. People leaving 
some of these larger states. And interestingly, if these numbers bear out in the census, it's going to be an interesting effect because what they're going to find is that some of the states are actually going to lose Congress people. Uh, California, as a matter of fact, is slated if these numbers hold up. They estimate that California is going to um, lose a congressional seat, along with Illinois, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, West Virginia, and one or two more. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Were you to leave the state, were you to relocate from Wisconsin, what would be the driving factor? Economic conditions, family conditions, weather, taxes, quality of life, what would drive your decision? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is going to be an interesting conversation. If you're just tuning in, here, here's the deal. that This year, we're going to be taking the census, and that's going to determine you know, where people live. We'll be able to compare you know, how population has shifted from over the course of the last 10 years. But, but there's preliminary indications. Some of the biggest states that are losing population, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, um, and Illinois, Illinois hemorrhaging hemorrhaging population um where are people going well they're going to a number of places including you know you've got texas including um florida arizona interestingly enough california not on that list california for the the last three years california been flat as a matter of fact for the last three years more people have left california than have moved in and that's an interesting factor as well, because for people who say, well, we want to go where the weather is, well, the weather is gorgeous in San Diego, but but there's other stuff that's causing people to leave. Okay, what would motivate you to go? Let's start with Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, yeah, uh, first of all, I want to wish you a happy new year. Same to you, sir. Yeah, uh, uh, my, to answer your question, my wife and I are at retirement age, so uh, the fact is that it would be financial. The fact is Wisconsin is not very friendly to its retirees. Mm-hmm. I think the taxes are a little bit too high and, and fees and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would probably be the major point if we decided to leave the state. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because that's also one of the driving factors that, that the cost, that the taxation thing. You, you look at some of these states, you know, that we're talking about where, where you've had the, the mass exodus, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Illinois. You know, what, what are, you, you, yes, you've got the weather issue, but on top of that, you've also got exactly what you were talking about, that high cost of living and the high state of taxation. And I think, just like you're talking about, there's a lot of people who are just simply saying, okay, I, I've had enough of this. I, I want to I wanna get out from under those burdens. Exactly. But one of the things that Wisconsin has going for it is its health care and its health facilities mm-hmm. are second to none in the country. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I I just and, and, and so that that's one of the, the, the one of the factors that that that, that benefits Wisconsin, especially southeastern Wisconsin. Yeah, no. I, see, Vincent, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not encouraging an exodus of people from Wisconsin. And actually, Wisconsin is kind of holding its own when you compare it to you know some of them. We're we're not looking at the, these massive population drops like some of the these larger cities are. But I, I some of these larger states are. But I, I actually I I think in part that's that's somewhat of a testament to what we've seen in Wisconsin. And over the last 10 years, where we've made conscious efforts to control cost of living and taxes. And for everybody out there who says it doesn't matter, well, again, look, look at these numbers and look at where people are, are moving. And I understand there's a quality of life issue. You know, people, especially as you get a little bit older, maybe you don't want to deal with, you know, the Wisconsin winters, even though this has been a pretty decent December and January. But it's the idea of, gee, if I can go somewhere where it's going to be cheaper to live and on top of it, it being cheaper to live, it's also going to be 70 or 75 or 80 degrees. That has an appeal as well. Carla, in uh, Carla, who's calling us from Florida. Carla, hello. Hi there. We're in Florida, are um, you? I'm in Navarre, Florida, which is very close to Pensacola. Oh, okay. Panhandle. Got it. Um, so I'm in the Panhandle, yes. So I moved two and a half years ago. The driving factor was I became an empty nester. And I'm still semi-retired, and I'm working virtually. Right. So number one reason was the weather, Right. to what your points were earlier. But I will say picking a state where um, the, tax, the tax brackets are different, and I'm not, I'm not taxed. I don't have an income tax. Right. As a virtual consultant, yes, I could do that in Wisconsin, but I'd rather do it here in Florida. Right. And so, so for that... Right, so it's cheaper and the weather's nicer, and you get to see the sun a little bit more often. Correct. Yeah, no, I, that's that's very true. No, no, well, see, and it, it, and it, see that makes perfect sense to me, Carla. And I think you know, and, and again, this isn't an anti-Wisconsin thing, but again, I'm I'm looking at okay, why why is this huge migration going on? You know, in in New York and New Jersey and Connecticut, why are people pouring out of Illinois? And it's because I think a lot of those states are financial train wrecks. What they're doing is they're looking at increasing taxes on everybody, and they don't recognize that like folks like you, you you you, you had some choices, and one of those choices Bye. was to vote with your feet <laughs> now you're you know now how, how what's the temperature down there today um we're a little cool here in the panhandle we're 62 degrees <laughs> okay uh, my my it's 18 here <laughs> not including yeah. the windshield well, a, a final point though um because i have lived in wisconsin my whole life and was very involved i will give kudos to the um the corporations that work well with the safety net services mm-hmm. united way and those, and I, I see more collaboration in the state of Wisconsin than I do elsewhere. Interesting. And I think Wisconsin has a, a, that going for it very well. I, I know. Th- thanks. So, call uh, Carla. And I, I see. I appreciate that. Look, in in, in my particular case. I, I, this is where I'm from. I mean, I have roots here. I, I can't ever imagine a situation where um, my wife and I would, would permanently leave Wisconsin. You know, if the time was right and the money made sense, could I see a situation where, you know, maybe we left Wisconsin for four or five months at a time? Absolutely. Absolutely, if you have the luxury to do it. Now, there's a lot of people, though, that are out there that don't have the luxury of deciding to split their, their time. It's either one or the other. And all I am saying is you you look at some of these numbers, and, and quality of life is important. And, and this needs to be 
I think, something that elected officials pay attention to. Is it a surprise that people are bailing on Illinois? Well, it shouldn't be. Illinois is an absolute train wreck. You know, the, the state government is... is I guess state governments aren't can't technically go bankrupt, but you look at the obligations that that they have moving forward, and you're looking at massive tax increases as pretty much being the only way you can dig out of that. Well, you do get to a certain point where people, especially if they have the ability to leave, end up saying enough is enough. Now, it's not just weather, and it's not just taxes, and that's why I bring up the whole issue of California, too, because... California now is experiencing net population losses, which is something you don't see, but I think it's also a quality of life type of thing. You have the huge regulation, you have the huge taxes, but you know there, there's a lot of cities in California where because of all the different problems they have, and let, let's forget the, you know, the fires and the mudslides and the things like that, but because of huge you know, problems. I mean, who wants to live in San Francisco where, where you, you can't walk down the street without you know, stepping over you know, four people that are in sleeping bags or in shopping carts? I mean, it, you know, every, every block, I think it wears on people, and, and that's why getting a handle on some of these social issues is so important as well. Jeff, Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi. Good to be with you. Thanks for calling. Um, I will probably establish residency in Florida for six months and one day okay. before we sell our business. Um, simply because there's a difference of $80,000 per every million dollars worth of value in the business. Okay, so it's it's a pure, in addition to weather and everything else, it's it just yeah. it makes a lot of financial sense to you to, to relocate. It, it does, but my roots are really in Milwaukee, and I will never leave Milwaukee yeah. completely. So from the financial decision, after I, after, I, after I satisfy all of the financial obligations, I will, I will probably not live here during the very rough winter months, but I will maintain a residence here in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I but, live and, in Burnfield. And, and it sounds like and, you, you, you will be in a financial position that you can be a snowbird and bounce back and forth. You know, a lot of people, though, don't have that financial flexibility, so they've got to decide it's going to be one place or the other. And I think more and more you can see people are making that decision to vote with their feet and and relocate other places. I, I think I think more and more people are, and um, uh, I've been very fortunate and uh, very blessed and and uh, yeah. and lucky. Yeah. And, you know, and I've worked hard. But but that's beside the point. Um, no, I understand. Poli- the tax the, the policy state, The state is is forcing me to make a choice. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for you know, and and that's that's what you're seeing with a lot of of retirees. You you see, for example, a large number of Wisconsin public employees. Let's talk about teachers who make the decision to relocate to lower tax states after they retire. And it's not bailing on the communities, and it's not that they don't, I don't think, love Wisconsin, although, again, the, the weather isn't necessarily a plus for five or six months out of the year, but it's the financial decision of when, you know, you put your pen to paper and you start doing the math, it, it just doesn't make sense. And this isn't a pick on Wisconsin, because it, trust me, it's a lot worse in other places. 
But the reason I bring up this topic is you look at these numbers that were released by the IRS and the Census Bureau last week, and you start to see how dramatic this is with people pouring out of states. And, and we're not... We're not going to lose a congressional seat. I mean, that, that's we're not one of the states that's seeing the massive population decreases. But if, if you want to understand how that can happen, look at Illinois, look at New York, look at New Jersey, look at Connecticut. It's more than just the weather that's going on. And that's something that elected officials, I think, sometimes just, just kind of forget. They don't recognize that people have choices and that sometimes they will exercise those choices. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All it takes is is money. One of the the, the undercovered stories of of this political season. And maybe it'll continue to be undercovered. I don't know. But one of the undercovered stories is the the rise, sort of quietly, of former Republican, former New York City mayor, Michael Bloomberg. Now, Michael Bloomberg is a billionaire. Michael Bloomberg, not that long ago, decided that he wanted to run for the Democratic nomination for president. Yeah, and of course, you already at the time, I don't know, he was probably the 15th or the 16th or the 17th or the 18th or the 19th or the 20th candidate that jumped in. Bloomberg, though, by virtue of being a billionaire, had this advantage that you know, he didn't have to go out and he didn't have to beg money from people and he didn't have to worry about, um, gee, can I, can I run a campaign staff here or, or somewhere else? All he had to do was write a check. And it's interesting. They estimate that since he got into the race, um, he has spent $166 million to run TV commercials, $166 million. Now, Wisconsin is going to be a battleground state, but can I see a show of hands? I, I don't recall, at least thus far, this early in the campaign, I don't, see, recall, I don't recall seeing ads for Elizabeth Warren in Wisconsin or, or Joe Biden or um, Bernie Sanders. I don't recall seeing those. Maybe there's been some up there, but certainly not like widespread sort of ads. I've seen a ton of Bloomberg ads here in Wisconsin because he's running a ton of ads. He just is part of that $166 million. He just dumped another $36 million to buy ads this, this week. So, you know, you, you turn on the TV and you, you see all sorts of Bloomberg ads. On top of that, he has decided that he is going to buy a 60-second ad during the Super Bowl coming up, you know, very early in February. A 60-second ad during the Super Bowl. Gru, would you like to guess how much a 60-second ad during the Super Bowl costs? 60 seconds. Got oh, I guess? know we cover the cost of this like every year, and I forget it. Got to guess? Like- like five million? Ten million dollars. Boy. For a, a 60 second ad. Not ten million dollars. So Bloomberg has purchased a, and I don't know when it's going to air during the game, but it's it, ten million bucks for a 60 second ad. And as soon as he did that, interestingly, the Trump campaign decided that they were going to buy their own 60 second ad. So you're going to see, you know, Trump is going to have an ad on there. I, I, I guess. Maybe there's room for other candidates, but it will stun me, absolutely stun me, if any of the other candidates are in a position to dump $10 million 
on a 60 second ad to run, you know, during the Super Bowl. But the, the bottom line of all this is that, you know, these the, the Michael Bloomberg is serious. Now, I understand there's a lot of people who just poo-pooed him and said, oh, this guy's not going to get any traction, and it's just this you know, New York billionaire, and we're not going to pay any sort of attention to it at all. But the in early indications, and I, I bring this up only because as a student of politics, for people who are just dismissing Bloomberg out of hand, I, I, I say do that at your own risk. I, I've been looking at some of the polls, and I understand whenever I talk about this, I get emails from people saying, don't, Jeff, don't you realize that polls are garbage? And and I, I understand pollsters have had bad track records over the last several years, but still, I, I think it's interesting to see how things are going. And I'm looking at a series of the, these polls that are out there, and it's interesting because at least in some of the polls, you have you have Bloomberg, who is now firmly – put himself in third or his fourth place. I mean, Biden leads in most of the polls. I mean, you've got Biden, you've got Sanders, you've got Elizabeth Warren. And, and those are, in, in most of the polls, those are the, the three leaders with Biden first, Warren second, Sanders third. Well, I don't know. Actually, I'm looking at some of these, and Sanders Sanders and Warren are, are a horse apiece. And, and then you, you have that, that next tier of candidates, Pete um, Buttigieg, and right along with him is Michael Bloomberg, who is, in some of these polls I'm looking at, you know, he's polling higher than Buttigieg, and others he's kind of even with him. But but he's firmly entrenched a, as, as the alternative to, uh, against several of these candidates. And you've got a guy that's just got a, a, a ton of money that's around, and, and he's willing to spend it. Now, I bring this up only because... Look, races aren't won by the person that runs the most ads or anything like that. But one of the things that you are seeing, I think, is is a lot of dissatisfaction among the general electorate with the number of 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 choices that you have in the Democratic Party. You have some people who say, oh, okay, we might like Joe Biden, but we're uncomfortable because he seems old and slowed down, and he's got the, all this track record and this history and stuff, and we're afraid he can't beat him. Then you've got the, you know, okay, Bernie Sanders is old, and Bernie Sanders is a socialist, and the country's not ready to be a socialist. And Elizabeth Warren, well, she's not as old as Bernie, but she's got these, like, really wacky ideas, and the country's not ready for that. And yeah, we, we like Mayor Pete, but, you know, he He's very, very young, and he doesn't have any experience. And can you go from being the mayor of South Bend to being the president of the United States? You've got all those different factors that are out there, and I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of people are dissatisfied with the alternatives to the president. And they're, you know, out of the clear blue, you have a guy like Michael Bloomberg, who, because he has more money than God, or maybe as much money as God, he can come in and he can run all these different ads, and he can position himself as this alternative, he can position himself as a guy who says, look, I, I don't need to raise the funds. Don't worry about that. I'm the real deal, at least financially, because I can just write the checks. And for people that wanted to dismiss him, well, like I say, he, he's polling better than, you know, seven or eight or nine of the other candidates who've been slogging it out for the last year. I bring this up only because... I don't know. Bloomberg, I don't think, is going anywhere anytime soon. He's got the money to stay in the race. And if he's in a position to run ads like, you know, on the Super Bowl and things like that, you know, you you, you dismiss him at your own risk. This is Jeff Wagner. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Group producing the show today and always. Do you know what happened? Three weeks ago today. Three weeks. You're looking. That was uh, Christmas, right? No, Christmas was two, was weeks. two weeks ago. Oh, shoot. Uh, but okay, but good guess. Also okay, eighteenth. I don't know what happened on the eighteenth. You do not know what happened on the eighteenth. No, and, and my guess is. See, I, I'm I'm not picking on you because my guess is if we open up the phone lines, and, and I said, okay, de- December eighteenth. What? Why? Why is that significant? We could take all sorts of calls from people who didn't have access to now googling things and saying what's going on on the eighteenth. They wouldn't know either. They, they wouldn't know either. Well, okay, December eighteenth was a a monumental day because December eighteenth, twenty nineteen. That was the day when the United States House of Representatives approved articles of impeachment for President Trump. Oh, sure. There you go. Right. Okay. So now now remember, re- remember the lead up to that. And I know that there were some radio talk shows that devoted the entire show day after day after day to the impeachment of President Trump. This was, was not one of them. And I, I know a, a number of you, when we would discuss this, got frustrated with me because my general perspective was, oh, there, there's, there's really nothing to see here. The reality of this is he's not going to be removed from office. This is a partisan sort of thing. Ultimately, the voters will decide. And I've been one of these guys that for months who was saying the way to have handled this was if Congress wants to disapprove of the way the president handled the whole situation in the Ukraine, it, they should have just come down with an order of censure and moved on. But a number of people disagree. No, no, Jeff, you've got to understand this is important to the republic. This guy is a crook. He's got to be removed. We've got to do it right away, right away, right away. All right. Three weeks ago was when the articles of impeachment were handed down. They have not, there have not been any steps taken because the speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, has not sent the articles of impeachment to the U.S. Senate. And the way the procedure works is the, the actually a lot of constitutional scholars believe that you're not even impeached until you, you, the articles of impeachment are actually transmitted to the U.S. Senate. Now that's angels dancing on the head of a pin one way or the other. But bottom line is it's been three weeks. Nancy Pelosi is not sending them to the Senate, which means that the Senate is not required to act. Matter of fact, I'm not sure the Senate even can act. So this whole thing that we were told just has to happen. It has to happen. It's important for their institution, the Republic. Well, it's been hanging fire for three weeks. And now, of course, impeachment is on this back burner unless you you know, read page five of the New York Times. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For the love of God, can't we get this over with? Regardless of how you feel about this, isn't it time to move on? I think it is incredibly irresponsible for Nancy Pelosi not to forward the articles of impeachment. Now, I mean, I I understand she has decided politically, well, I I, want to try to withhold these. I want to try to leverage things in the U.S. Senate. I'm hoping that a bunch of Republicans break ranks, et cetera, et cetera. But seriously, if impeachment was 
this national concern that we had. Oh, this is this very dark day. We need to do everything we can. We, we've we've got to be true to this whole process. What does it say that you're sitting on the articles of impeachment and not sending them on? I think this is incredibly bad for this country. I mean, the, the bottom line is the House of Representatives on a largely a partisan vote, felt it was important to do this. This was their constitutional duty. We had to do it. Well, okay, if, if that was it, and you had these noble motives, sitting on this, refusing to transmit them to the U.S. Senate so the Senate can dispose of them however they choose, I think is incredibly irresponsible, and it almost proves what was going on before to, to be a, a lie. No, if this was so important that you had to do your constitutional duty and it was so important to get this done, then what does sitting on them now mean? That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. One way or the other, I think this has got to come to an end. And and the only way now it comes to an end, you transmit the articles. They should have been, in my opinion, transmitted on December 19th and now allow the Senate to deal with it and allow the chips to fall where they may. I think it is shameful that this whole thing is still hanging fire and now we're, you know, this January 8th, it's been three weeks. Four, um, seven, eight, seven, nine, nine, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Mark. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me. Sure. You know, I think that it is absolutely absurd that someone would expect us to just move on and get over with illegal activity. And when you say you want it sent over to the Senate, we have Mitch McConnell who has clearly stated that he is not an impartial juror. Well, I thought you How cared about the Constitution. Even... I thought you cared about the I Constitution. Do. Well, the role of the House That's of the Representatives is to issue... Well then, the... well, then why? Why don't the Democrats forward the articles of impeachment to the Senate to allow them to do their constitutional duty? Because they are refusing to do their constitutional duty by violating their oath to be impartial jurors. Well, how, why do you get Mitch to decide McConnell that? Has said that. Why do you decide? Why do I you get to decide that? No, no, you're, you're, no, he, he, he didn't say I'm that. violating my constitutional duty. So what is your plan? What yes, is the end did. game? You're not going to, you're Mitch, not going to forward them. So what's the end game? No, Mitch. Ma- what uh, is your the, end game? The end game is you get. The end game is a fair trial. Okay. And Mitch McConnell has stated, not me, this is Mitch McConnell, so you want Mitch McConnell said, I am not to, an impartial so you, juror. So you want Mitch McConnell to resign? I want Mitch McConnell to recuse himself. Well, he's not going to. And, no, so, I want him to recuse himself. So he's not going to. Okay, of course so, they won't. Okay, so they what do you do now, Mark? Because they are so you don't forward, their oath. So, Mark, you don't forward the articles of impeachment. We're just going to let him sit there? That's the plan? Uh, do you do you have a better plan to force people to follow their oath and do well, their duty to see, the Constitution? I, I just, Mark, see, this is the what this is what drives me crazy uh, about this side. And look, I'm not necessarily a Trump fan, but it is this arrogance that gets displayed there. Well, I get to decide what somebody's constitutional duty is. I I can look into this person's heart and I can say I I am this I have this higher purpose and and I know that this person isn't doing this. And okay, here here's the bottom line: everybody has their role to play in this process. The House of Representatives on a partisan party line vote, that's fine, decided they wanted to return the articles of impeachment. Okay, fine. You have done that. Now you forward them to the U.S. Senate and you allow those senators to exercise their judgment as they see fit. 
and you can decide that, well, they're not doing their constitutional duty because they don't agree with me. Well, all right, that, that, that's that's great. But the bottom line of this is this is not good for the country. And this idea that, gee, I am morally superior because I understand. And I, Mitch McConnell and all these Republicans who aren't going to vote to remove him, well, they're they're just wrong. They're, they've already prejudged this. No, I mean, this is the process. Impeachment is political. You've got a political impeachment in the House of Representatives. Will the Senate decide on political things? Yeah, but that's just the reality. And what is the alternative? Is the alternative, okay, we've now returned these articles, so we're going to sit on them? Well, I I thought it was important to get this process going, but now you're going to sit on them for what, a month, two months, three months, six months? Um, Where do we go from here? 855-616-1620. Oh, I, I just, it's this, this moral superiority that drives me absolutely crazy. Well, I mean, bottom line is everybody has a function to play. House of Representatives thought it was important to play their role. And all right, we believe that there's these two articles of impeachment. Fine. Now you move on to the next process or you, you sit on it. it. But I mean, to me, the fact that they're sitting on it indicates that they were never serious about it in the first place. Sam, Sam, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Thanks for having me on this show. Sure. Jeff. Well, when, you know, if, when you go back to Robert Mueller, that was essentially the equivalent of an independent counsel like you had with Ken Starr. He did his investigation. They didn't get what they wanted. So they moved into this impeachment but that was absent of an independent counsel to advise the whole House of Representatives. So they did it that way so they could get the outcome that they wanted. Mitch McConnell did not tell Nancy Pelosi how to run that. No, She did it not. how she chose. Yep. She did it how she chose. Okay, and you know more about this than anybody because you're a lawyer. So, okay, they got what they wanted. Now pass the paperwork on. But right. now they won't because they want to tell Mr. McConnell now how to run his affairs, but he never did that to them. Well, right. Now, Republicans in the House, I mean, they argued about the process and those things, and ultimately the House decided on this. But, yeah, you're, 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 you're exactly right. This is the process we have. You know, you have the House of Representatives. They decide to impeach. Then the Senate holds the trial, and the Senate gets to decide how they want the trial to be conducted. This is just, I mean, look, this has yep. been political theater from the beginning, Sam, and it's just it's, well, it's time to move on to the know, next step. If, and if I could add one other thing here, with all this that's been going on with Iran, again, we understand that the president is the commander-in-chief. He has the right to make that 2 a.m. decision on what to do with an enemy that's coming at us. Now they're talking the other day again that, while well, he, he should have gone to Congress. I, you know, that this is just absurd. Well, well I mean, think, again, I don't want to get too far afield here, but, I, again, I listened for months and, and my solution all along was a solution that I, I think you might have even gotten some bipartisan support on, which was to return an, a vote of censure, which would have expressed the position of Congress. And that, that's what I thought. I, I think some Republicans might have even voted for that. But no, no, no. We This is important to the republic. We've got to get this president removed because we think he's a crook, et cetera, et cetera. We have this duty to the Constitution. So we return this. And now you, you sit on it for week after week after week. Well, I mean, to me, that's just indicative, again, of the fact that this was this was always a sham from the beginning. Not saying that there's not legitimate concerns about the appropriate 
appropriateness of this particular phone call, but this idea that, okay, we're, we're really devoted to this overall system. Jeff, here's a number of texts. I'm a Democrat. I agree. Um, Pelosi and other Democrats play the blame game and put everything on the doorstep to Mitch McConnell. The time has come to get on with things and forward the articles and then let the country move on. Um, yes, exactly. Um, you know, that's, that's the situation. Jeff, should every Democrat in the Senate who has commented on impeachment recuse themselves because they're incapable of being impartial? Uh, you know, impeachment is a political process. It's, it's not a trial in the sense of a criminal case. It's never been set up that way. It's always been designed to be political. And you can agree with it or you can disagree with this. But, you know, the, the bottom line is this is a political process. It was a political process in the House of Representatives. But I, I raise this only because I think, and I've been saying this for months, there, there are serious issues that this country faces. And at the end of the day, the reality is the voters are going to decide next November whether or not Donald Trump deserves another four years in office. I don't know how that decision is going to come down. And I understand there's a lot of people who just hate the president and just can't imagine that that he's in office and can't even imagine the concept that he might be in office for another four years. Okay, that that's all well and good. American people are going to decide. But I, I was been listening for months and months. Oh, it is important. This is just terrible. It's important. We have to exercise our constitutional responsibility. Okay, you've returned these articles of impeachment, and now you're sitting on them day after day, week after week, because you're trying to, I don't know, extract some sort of political considerations or favors. Meanwhile, again, the country is moving on. Like I say, we, we could have taken phone calls for the better part of a half hour. I don't think anybody would have even remembered that three weeks ago is when you had the impeachment. And the further and further we get away from that, I think the less and less significant it's going to become, regardless of how you feel about you know President Trump or not. So my message would be, let's get over this. Let's let the chips fall where they may. And then everybody's going to be accountable for their vote. And then we can move on. Can't we? This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. No, we cannot and will not move on from a fake trial where the outcome is admitted before it even begins. Traitors to the Constitution, the entire Republican establishment. That that would be, okay, like the outcome admitted before it even begins. That would be like the impeachment hearings where you, you knew it was going to be on a party line vote and just kind of posing these particular questions. Look, nothing, nothing's going to change. You can sit on these. This is why I was the guy saying censure for the longest time. You can sit on the articles of impeachment. You wait two weeks. You wait a month. You wait two months. You wait three months. You're into the presidential election. I mean, th- this is politics, pure and simple. And I think we need to move on and get past this one way or the other. And, yes, I I don't believe you are doing your constitutional duty, Nancy Pelosi, if you have returned these articles of impeachment just sitting on them and sitting on them. Like I say, a lot of scholars don't even think he's been impeached until you actually deliver them. I don't know about that. But what, what do we gain by waiting weeks and weeks and weeks? Now, an interesting text. Somebody says, with regard to the articles of impeachment, is there any constitutional requirement of the time in which they must submit the articles to the Senate? The answer is is no. I think Democrats want to wait until the election takes place. Then, if they win the majority in the Senate, the president's reelected. What do you think? No, that that's not going to be how this plays out because the 
the Congress, I'm pretty sure of this, I mean, there's going to be a new Congress that's going to be sworn in next January. So if the texter is suggesting, well, maybe they're going to try to hold it for another year, I don't think those, I don't think the articles by one Congress carry over to the next Congress. Um, so I think you'd have to start the process all over again. Bottom line is, I, I just, I was, I listened for months and months about how important there was, this urgency was, and we've got to get on with this. And that that's fine. I, I think one way or the other, it's important to have a resolution of this. And I guess I'm frustrated that now we're, we're at the next phase. It's yes, well, now we've got these articles, but we're, we're going to just put everything else on hold because we want to control the way the process, another branch of uh, another part of the of the legislative branch of government has. Well, you don't have a right to do that. You you just you, you don't. You're in the House of Representatives. You do your job. Then you send them on, and the Senate does its job as they interpret it. And if people don't like the way they did their job, well, then you vote the senators out. You hold them accountable. But that's we, we've just we've gone through the looking glass in this country on this. And I think it's important one way or the other to get past this whole idea of impeachment. And I understand that means that some people aren't going to be happy because the president's not going to be removed this way and people will grumble about it. But you, you need to get over it. You just do. Back with more in just a minute.